0: Welcome to the Math Ed Podcast. My name is Sam Otten from the University of Missouri, and today we're going to be talking about some of the broad goals that many of us have for mathematics education, which is to make mathematics relevant to children's lives, and also to respect and build upon the unique backgrounds of the kids. But These ideas can become cliches that we just say to each other unless we know how to tangibly achieve these goals. And we're going to be getting into that issue with Corey Drake, who's Director of Teacher Preparation and a professor in the Department of Teacher Education at Michigan State University. Corey, thanks so much for speaking with us.
1: Thanks for having me. It's great.
0: We're going to be talking about some of the work that Corey has done with colleagues focusing on curriculum spaces. And these curriculum spaces provide ways to connect to children's multiple mathematical knowledge bases. But Corey, before we get into those ideas, I want to go back a little ways to uh, how you got into the field of mathematics education. Where did you do your grad studies and who did you work with?
1: So I actually did my graduate studies at Northwestern University in the School of Education and Social Policy. And I was in a program there actually in human development and social policy. And so I had come from being a middle school special education teacher in Chicago Public Schools. And I really wanted to think about both the developmental pieces of who my children were and their experiences growing up, but also the systemic factors of the communities and schools as systems. So this Mm -hmm. human development and social policy program was a nice fit for that. My advisor, was Jim Spillan. He Mm -hmm. does a lot of work around educational policy, and in particular, teachers as sense makers. Mm -hmm. So not just adopting a policy, enacting it, or resisting it, but making sense of it. What does it mean in the context of teachers' lives? And so we did work together on sense making, and he has since gone on to do work around leadership and distributed leadership.
0: Okay. So was your dissertation a little bit more on these policy aspects rather than like a pure math ed dissertation?
1: I would say so when I was in grad school I worked on a elementary math curriculum development project okay. children's math worlds which later became math expressions okay. um and my job on that project was really to be the liaison between the curriculum developers and the teachers who were piloting the curriculum so what I started thinking a lot about was the stories teachers were telling me, kind of the stories in the hallway. So I Mm -hmm. would watch a lesson, we would do the official interview, and then as we were walking out of the building, they would say, you know, this reminds me of when I learned subtraction when I was in second grade, and I Mm -hmm. never understood why you had to borrow. But now the way this lesson talks about regrouping it makes so much more sense. And mm-hmm. so I really uh, started thinking about who teachers were as sense makers as they enacted curriculum, which I saw curriculum as kind of a form of policy mm-hmm. at that time. And so thinking about how their own experience influenced the ways in which they made sense of the curriculum. Mm
0: mm-hmm. So speaking of curriculum, I want to get into this idea of the curriculum spaces that you're working on. But you have kind of an all-star team that you're part of. (laughs) I do,
1: indeed. (laughs) There's uh,
0: Tanya Land, Tanya Bartell, yourself, Mary Foote, Amy Roth-McDuffie, Aaron Turner, and Julia Aguirre. So really a whole uh, wonderful team that you're part of. Absolutely. I want to start actually just with where this team got together, and then we'll get into the ideas about uh, curriculum spaces.
1: That is a great question. So it actually is two teams that came together. So Tanya Land and I worked on a early career project I had working with a group of teachers who were implementing curriculum in ways that were responsive to children's thinking. And so we had done a lot of work with those teachers, not only understanding their decisions, but also then thinking about how to help prospective teachers learn to use curriculum. And as we were thinking about those ideas, the teach math group came together and the rest of the authors on that paper, so Tanya Bartel, Mary, Amy, Aaron, and Julia, we're all part of the Teach Math team. We came together first. Um, Aaron and I organized a small conference funded by NSF to think about, we had noticed that in our own methods courses, and we suspected this was true for other people, we would do a lot of work around children's mathematical thinking and CGI. And then disconnected from that, we would have a week or two or even more around equity and social justice in math. And we really wanted to think about, ways we could integrate those two ideas together so that they didn't seem like separate things where you taught to children's mathematical thinking and then you thought about teaching equitably. We wanted to think about how those fit together. And so we invited a group of math educators who wanted to help us think about those things, who wanted to think about that in their own work. Um, And out of that conference, which involved about 35 math educators, Mm -hmm. the six of us who became the Teach Math team was a group that really wanted to pursue those ideas. At that time, we were in a position to be able to do that. And so um, we applied for funding. And we just finished seven years of working on the Teach Math project, where we developed modules for the methods courses. We tested those modules in our own context. We looked at the outcomes. We followed teachers into novice teaching. And now we've disseminated those modules to other math educators.
0: Mm -hmm. So we're going to be talking about this article that is available online right now in the Journal of Curriculum Studies. And that article by the full team is called Curriculum Spaces for Connecting to Children's Multiple Mathematical Knowledge Bases. So I want to first unpack two of those concepts. So what do you mean first by the children's multiple mathematical knowledge bases, just so we can all kind of get on board with that idea? Yeah,
1: sure. So children's multiple mathematical knowledge bases is kind of a mouthful, but it also connects to this key idea that really brought the Teach Math team together, which is to say we do a lot of work around children's mathematical thinking, so understanding the ways children make sense of problems, their strategies for solving problems. And that's really built on the work of cognitively guided instruction, the work of Carpenter and his colleagues. But we also want to be thinking always about children's mathematical funds of knowledge Mm
2: -hmm. that are
1: based in their home and community and linguistic experiences. So the work of Luis Moll and Marta Seville, that really looked at what are the mathematical funds of knowledge that children bring to the classroom. And so we think about this combination of children's mathematical thinking and children's mathematical funds of knowledge together as their multiple mathematical knowledge bases. And so the idea is, again, we don't look at one and then the other. We don't start with funds of knowledge and then look at mathematical thinking or vice versa. But we're always thinking about those as integrated knowledge bases, the set of knowledge and experiences that children bring to the classroom.
0: Okay, great. And then there's this concept of curriculum spaces, which is obviously very central to what we're going to be talking about for the rest of the interview here. How would you describe curriculum spaces if you were just talking to somebody for the first time (laughs) about it?
1: (laughs) So when we think of curriculum spaces, we think about the opportunities in curriculum materials for connecting to those multiple mathematical knowledge bases. So where are the opportunities in curriculum materials to connect to children's thinking, to connect to their funds of knowledge? We operationalize that as where are places to make real world connections, where are places for children to develop strategies for solving problems, and where are the opportunities for children to explain their thinking mm-hmm. um, and to hear other children's thinking.
0: Mm-hmm. And those could be maybe very explicit in the curriculum, but are they also sometimes I would guess kind of implicit and the teacher has to be able to sort of seek them out? Absolutely. (laughs) So
1: part of what we're thinking about are what are the spaces that are written into curriculum? Where are they written in? How are they written in? How might you find them as a teacher? We also think about the ways teachers can create spaces. So maybe they aren't explicitly written into the curriculum, but with a little bit of adaptation or just depending on the way you choose to enact the materials, you can really open those spaces up for children's knowledge bases.
0: Mm -hmm. So in the study in the Journal of Curriculum Studies, uh, you look at some elementary curriculum Mm -hmm. materials. Mm -hmm. So I was wondering if you could just tell us what materials did you look at and then how did you actually go through them uh, in this study?
1: So we tried to look at a wide range of materials because one of the things we're always thinking about is how do we support teachers in opening these spaces in classrooms to connect to children and to support children in accessing the mathematics. Before presenting that to teachers as a strategy for using in their classroom, we needed to convince ourselves that mm-hmm. this was a strategy that could work across the wide range of materials that uh, teachers yeah. are using in classrooms. Right. Right? right. The curriculum context that teachers are in are very unpredictable. They range from more traditional scripted curriculum like Saxon mathematics to mm-hmm. some of the more reform oriented everyday math investigations curricula mm-hmm. like that math mm-hmm. expressions the one I worked on in graduate school mm-hmm. newer curricula like Engage New York and Go Math and so we we looked across that range yeah. of curricula to really see is this idea of spaces something that's applicable across this range of materials mm-hmm. and and so we looked in particular we tried to sample lessons from each of those sets of materials we looked at lessons on fractions lessons on multiplication and lessons on multi digit operations addition subtraction mm-hmm. so so we could see does it apply across a range of content but also a range of curriculum series
0: mhm and then you're looking for the things you mentioned earlier exactly. like real world connections opportunities to explain or hear other people's exactly. ideas yeah mm-hmm. okay So I'm just curious, um, you know, the article has much more detail on this, but while you're here, I definitely want to ask, like, what were some of the main things that stood out to you after doing the analysis with the team?
1: I think there were three main things that I I would share here. One is that Almost all of the lessons, all but one of the lessons we looked at, had something that looked like a real-world connection, an opportunity to connect to a context. But we found that those varied greatly.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Often they came at the end of a lesson, after children had already been directed to use a particular strategy, or maybe the book imposed a context that might be familiar to some students but not familiar to others.
2: Mm-hmm. Other
1: times, real-world objects were just used in place of counters or cubes. So there's an example where there's an array of of, I think, four counters by five counters. So 20 counters in an array. Mm -hmm. And then in the next problem, they're party cups in Mm -hmm. the same array. Mm -hmm. But the party cups don't really make any connection to things Mm -hmm. children would have experienced in the world. So a lot of those things that look like open spaces for connection aren't really that open because they've Mm -hmm. been shut down in various ways by the curriculum developers. There were a few lessons, though, where there were open spaces for making those connections, where children were asked to share experiences they had with sharing or with collecting or different mathematical practices they might be engaged in outside of school. And so we encourage teachers based on that to look for, are these real connections that would make sense for the children and help them connect to the math? That was one piece. Another thing we found was what we called conflicting spaces,
2: mm-hmm. which
1: is where the materials might suggest that teachers allow students to explore strategies or to use a range of strategies, but the rest of the lesson really directed children into yeah. one strategy. Mm-hmm. And so that can be conflicting both for the teacher and for the students to think yeah. about, am I really supposed to be making sense of this? Am I really supposed to come up with my own strategy? Or should I just do the thing the book is telling me to do?
0: Yeah, or if I come up with something, it's only going to be temporary, and then... And right. pretty soon I'm just going to get on board with yes. whatever Yes, so let's they, just
1: go ahead and figure out what want, the thing is the book yeah, wants just us to let's do. Let's go right
0: to the, the thing where that's going right. to all be unified anyway.
1: Right, so again, spaces that look open often were closed by these conflicting messages in the books. And the other thing we noticed is that a lot of the most open spaces in the curriculum materials occur around what we call the peripheries of the materials. So if mm-hmm. you imagine a traditional teacher's guide, you have the main lesson in the center and then around the edges you have the opening message or the problem of the You have differentiation ideas. So ideas for learners who need more challenge, learners who are still learning English. And then sometimes at the end, you might have extension problems. And we Mm -hmm. found that those kinds of problems around those edges were often much more open
2: Hmm. than
1: the main lesson. And so we've thought a lot about what if we took what was in the peripheries and made that the main lesson and saved the main lesson either for later or for additional practice or didn't use it at all. So... Mm -hmm. Um, It was interesting that those problems around the edges that often were directed to particular groups of students actually could open up space for all of the students in Mm -hmm. the
2: classroom.
0: Now, did that tend to vary by curriculum or did you, what you just described about the periphery, was that actually kind of a universal thing about all the materials?
1: It was fairly universal, actually. It Mm -hmm. looks different in different sets of materials, but it is interesting that the materials vary much more in their main lessons. Some of the main Uh, lessons are more open than others, but all of them had these open spaces around the peripheries. hmm. And so um, that seems to be a really interesting place to look um, when we're looking for open spaces in curriculum materials.
0: Yeah, and that almost seems like something That our field just needs to think about, or curriculum developers need to think about, like you know, why why does the periphery tend to be the place that really opens up? Right,
1: exactly. Yeah,
0: that's a really interesting point. I'm speaking with Corey Drake from Michigan State University about the idea of curriculum spaces. And you've not only written this empirical report um, in the Journal of Curriculum Studies, but you've also, with your team, uh, shared some of these Mm -hmm. ideas for teacher audiences. So there's an article in the journal Teaching Children Mathematics that also addresses this idea of curriculum spaces. But that one really gets into more practical suggestions that teachers could take into their classroom and try to think about or, or work on. So I wonder if you could just mention some of those for us, like what suggestions do you have for teachers who are interested in maybe trying to really take advantage of curriculum spaces and trying to connect to students' multiple mathematical knowledge bases.
1: Sure, absolutely. So we propose really three strategies in that article. And the idea here is that teachers are busy. They're teaching lots of content day in and day out to a wide range of students. And so while sometimes it's useful for teachers to create their own lessons, often we can start with the lesson that's there in the curriculum materials, look at where those open spaces are, and then make small changes to the lesson that really open up bigger spaces for both connecting to your students and helping them connect to the math. So the first one we talked about is what we call number choice. And that's Mm -hmm. really taking a problem that's in a textbook that typically just has one set of numbers. So Mm -hmm. a word problem might say I have 93 pennies and I collect 147 more pennies, how many pennies do I have now? And those numbers might be great for some of the students in your classroom, Mm -hmm. but if we varied them up a little bit, if we had some numbers that were friendlier numbers or closer to landmarks, others that were more challenging, now suddenly we've differentiated that lesson in a way that provides access, connects to the mathematical thinking of many more students in that classroom. Mm -hmm. So that's one idea we talk about.
0: And you'd still keep the same mathematical goals, but you can just have it open in, yeah, different access points for the students. Exactly. It's yeah. about
1: providing access to the same mathematics, right? We're not changing mm-hmm. the mathematical goal. We're not lowering the demand, exactly, but we're yeah. providing access for all of our students. And they can come together at the end of the lesson and have a discussion about their strategies. They'll be using the same kinds of strategies, just with different numbers, but they're mm-hmm. still working on the same mathematics.
0: Yeah, and I think that's almost nice as a way to uh, reveal structure by Absolutely. actually doing something yes. with three different numbers that actually even can provide, like... I care a lot about the mathematical practices and you actually open up some new opportunities to talk about those mathematical practices too by having the different numbers and then making connections across, oh, I did this, I did a similar thing, I did a similar thing now we're noticing the structure across all of the number options.
1: Absolutely, and what does the strategy look like when it's 43 plus 97, and what does it look like when it's 143 plus 97? Mm -hmm. What happens when we add a 100 into this, Mm -hmm. and how that matters and will differ based on the different strategies so yes, it opens up lots of opportunities Mm -hmm. for discussion that all students can engage in Mm -hmm. Um, so that's a really nice way we found for opening spaces. Yeah. Um, Another one is based on this idea, both of the conflicting spaces and the peripheries. And it's about rearranging the lesson components. It's about looking Mm -hmm. at all the different parts of the lesson, the launch, the peripheries, the end of the lesson and thinking about, could I rearrange these in a way that would open up more spaces, would have fewer of those conflicting messages. Um, about open and closed spaces in the lesson. So sometimes it's about taking the opening problem and making that the main problem. Sometimes it's about taking an extension problem or a problem for English learners from the peripheries and making that the main part of the the lesson. Sometimes it's taking the word problems at the end of the lesson and doing those first, and Mm -hmm. then talking about strategies Mm -hmm. later. So ways to think about what are the different components of this lesson, where are the open spaces, and how can I focus on those?
0: Mm I'm thinking back to what we were talking about earlier with uh, the single kind of endorsed method or procedure Mm -hmm. for solving versus maybe like multiple strategies for solving. So it seems like that's something that also a teacher might change the order of that. Exactly. Like if if the lesson would normally say, you know, try three different ways, but then we're all going to come to this one endorsed (laughs) canonical way of doing it by the end. What if you flipped that around? Like what if you said, yeah, here's one way to do it. But now, see if you can come up with other ways. Like, so you put it to the students to be creative or try to think of something. And now, because you flipped the order, it's obvious that we're not all going to try to end up at the same place. We're actually trying to, like, diversify um, so that seems like a fun way to take what's already in the lesson, but just kind of reverse the order might really change the dynamics.
1: Absolutely. And, you know, sometimes that one strategy is in there because it becomes important later on in the mm-hmm. curriculum. And in that case, what we often um, do with teachers is say, keep that one strategy in mind, mm-hmm. open up the space for your students, see if one of them comes up with a strategy and can just share mm-hmm. that one strategy. And if not, like you say, mm-hmm. introduce it as one of many. Yeah. Here's another way I've seen children to solve this kind of problem. Mm-hmm. What do you think about this strategy Mm -hmm. so that, like you say, it doesn't become we all need to use this one, but that's one of many. Mm -hmm. Um, And so children have had a chance to see it and to make sense of it, but we haven't closed down the space for them to develop their own strategies. And
0: then did you say there was a third that you wanted to mention?
1: There's a third strategy, which is really about eliciting context from students. So, so often the curriculum provides the context. Word problems are set in a context. Content is introduced through a context. Mm -hmm. But opening up that space by just asking your students, what do you know about... Sharing. What do you know about, have you ever seen your parents using addition? When do they do that? Multiplication. What do you know about things that come in packages or things that come in groups? Mm-hmm. And so opening up that space at the beginning of the lesson and then connecting to the context that the children raise, that the children mm-hmm. have experience with versus the context that's provided in the materials. Right? Materials are written for a generic group of children, and so mm-hmm. the way teachers can be responsive is to understand who their children are and make those adjustments along the way.
0: Right. Now, is that a little bit scary for teachers sometimes because you're not quite sure what they might bring up? Or the student might bring up something that is not as mathematically rich as maybe what the teacher would have thought of. But I guess that's part of just the challenge, right? Like, Good teaching is not easy, right? So,
2: exactly.
1: So
0: it's maybe just a, a challenge that the teachers have to rise to. I imagine it could be scary, but I also imagine it could be kind of fun and, and exciting, right, yeah, to hear right. from the students and hear them connecting it or bringing up the ideas.
1: Absolutely. And it's engaging and motivational for students as well, because not only do these ideas provide access to the mathematics, but they just provide connection to their lives. And students mm-hmm. are much more interested in participating in lessons that are engaging mm-hmm. and connect to their lives. You're right. There is both this unspeakable certainty about Mm -hmm. what children will raise and it also requires a certain set of knowledge about what is the mathematics in the Mm -hmm. context that's in the book and what is the mathematics in the context that my students are raising and can I find a context that provides as much uh, mathematical opportunity as the one that was in the book but also connects to my children's lives and Mm -hmm. you know so that's something we learn over time right we learn as with so many things we learn from our students we learn from trying these things out Mm -hmm. and continuing the discussion
0: yeah so what are the next steps for the team as you're continuing to think about, you're obviously passionate about these ideas. <laughs> Where are you going with it next?
1: So the curriculum landscape is really changing a lot. So mm-hmm. even when we were doing this curriculum spaces analysis just over the past couple of years, we kept adding in new curriculum series as new series were coming on the market as we were seeing new curriculum materials being used in schools. And even since then, it has widened even more. There are more digital materials. There yeah. are lots of places, lots of resources that teachers are pulling on to create their own curricula. Mm -hmm. And so we're really just interested in how we continue working on this idea of curriculum spaces and connecting to children's knowledge bases in the context of all of these new materials and these new ways of working with curriculum that are Mm -hmm. out there. So we're continuing to work with teachers, we're continuing to go into schools and just find out what they're doing, what they're using in terms of curriculum, and then think together with them about ways they can do that that are responsive to children Mm -hmm. and connect to their knowledge bases
0: mm-hmm. my guest is Corey Drake and uh I always have a final question that I ask. And this question actually comes from Michigan State University. So Aaron Brackanucki was in grad school oh, with me. Oh, interesting. Okay. And anytime we had a guest to campus, he would always ask this question. Oh, interesting. And now okay. you're here, a guest at uh, Mizzou right now. So I get to ask you, Excellent. if you weren't in math education, what could you imagine doing as an <laughs> alternative career?
1: Yeah. I think the thing I would most like to be doing if I weren't in math education is to be a documentary filmmaker. Oh. I am... Um, fascinated by documentaries and that at the heart of all of my work is storytelling mm-hmm. and really sharing other stories and I think documentaries would be a really interesting and also fun way to do that.
0: Mm-hmm. So have you already heard a bunch about the True False Film Festival here? I have here?
1: just in the past day <laughs> heard about it, so yeah I might have to make another trip yeah, next it's, year. To it's a great
0: film so festival had, here yeah. in Colombia. The filmmakers just love it so they get the best documentaries to come, oh, and the great. directors come, the stars oh, come, the producers come. Nice. Um, it's really, really fun. If anybody else is interested, it's usually the first weekend in March. Okay. Um, have you seen any like really compelling documentaries lately, or one that's kind of on your mind?
1: you know and a lot of the ones I love are connected to the lives of children I think mm-hmm. of education as kind of a justice oriented activity and mm-hmm. learning more about who children are and the lives they live really helps me think about the work I do in teaching and teacher education mm-hmm. and so those are the most compelling stories yeah
0: me. well Corey thanks so much for taking time and speaking with you this was really a lot of fun Great.
1: thank you